Hello and welcome to the Road to Success podcast. My name is Maddie Lovell. Thank you so much for joining me today as I chat with Marlon from 660. Hey there and welcome to the Road to Success podcast. Welcome back. I haven't done an episode in a couple of months and it's because I had, well I didn't have a baby, my wife and I had a baby and I've been concentrating on uh, trying to learn how to be the best dad I can for a couple of months. I took two months off work, I took two months off podcasting, off speaking, off everything and just concentrated on that but it's back and I am back and I've got an amazing guest today, Marlon from 660. This guy is interesting, holy moly. We sort of covered everything from obviously the rise of 660 from you know flat parties in Dunedin to selling out Western Springs, 50,000 tickets. Um, which they did um, only a few weeks ago. It's quite introspective as well. We talk about you know his journey and their work ethic and his work ethic and goals and goal setting. He's got a really cool take on nutrition and health and um, we dive into his routines, routines that help him stay happy, that stay healthy, that help him stay productive. Um, he's a, just a, a great guy and obviously you're soon to hear that. Um, he's an amazing guy, great insight. Um, obviously 660 has some fantastic success and um, after listening to this then you can really see why. Enjoy. Marlon, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It worked out well. You're uh, in Christchurch for the day, and um, I appreciate you doing it. Now, we've just discovered uh, off air that um, you know, one of my first questions was, what brings you to Christchurch? Are you actually here to see someone that I know as well, um, Gilbert Anoka? Yeah, I am. And he's a, um, I mean, I think his title was the mental skills coach of the All Blacks. I was instantly interested that you were catching up with him. What is, how did that sort of come about and, and what does he you know, help you with? Uh, well, it was a few years ago we got asked to play at an All Blacks game after the Blairslow Cup about three years ago and um, I noticed through the correspondence, through emails that he was on the email, he was the one actually organising us to play. And uh, I had heard of his name before just through just random articles and stuff that he was the All Blacks mental coach. So through that I asked him personally because I was in Christchurch. My mum and my brother live in Ashburn and so I was like coming down. So I just thought I'd get in touch with him. You know, it was just, it was a long shot. But uh, he replied and said, yeah, come to my house. So, I, yeah, I went to his house and he just asked me, you know, what can I help you with? And I just said, uh, it was at, at that stage, we were just about to sign with Capitol Records. I think we might have just signed with them. You know, I was just kind of projecting into the future, you know, what's going to happen. And I, I thought you know, there's going to be a lot of people telling us what to do and it's, it's going to be a different culture and it's going to be potential notoriety and stuff like that. And so I just asked them, you know, before we go overseas and, you know, and these pressures eventually come, what are some things I can think about, like, and what can you help, help us with? And he kind of just put this big piece of paper up and he just started just writing away and he covered a lot of things like uh, fear and goal setting. Goal setting was the one I remember the, the biggest. He asked me to set a goal that I could probably never reach in my lifetime or the band could never reach. And uh, he asked me, he was like, oh, you know, what's the, what's the goal? And I was like, oh, yeah, we want to be like, you know, the biggest band in the world. We want to be like the Beatles, you know, do everything that I've done and influence a lot of people and help people out with, with their lives. And he's like, can you go bigger than that? And I was like, oh, I don't know if I can go bigger than that. Like, that's like the biggest thing I could think about. And he's like, you need to kind of just, the reason why he said is like two, the gap will create the force. And second, like something you can never achieve, you'll never get complacent. 
So after that meeting, we didn't quite know what the goal was. I started thinking, and um, when we went to LA, we had a, a meeting with our management, and uh, so I thought I'd make a, like a PowerPoint of like the goals we want to do, and it kind of like it surprised our management, and they were like, oh, "Okay, what's this?" And so I was just we did some goal setting, you know. We just want to just like tell you what we want to do and like where we want to go as we're signing with this um, new record label. And um, the thing I put down, I was just trying to think about like the biggest picture possible and what dawned on me is like our music, it helps people and it heals people. It um, has this capacity to like do great things and good for the world. And I was like, who's done this stuff before at the highest level? And the person that came to my mind was Jesus. Mm -hmm. So in the PowerPoint, I was like, Influence and do good in the world like Jesus did, and and his impact and his you know his legacy. Yeah. And um, management were really surprised. Like everyone was like, "Whoa, what? Like really? Like they thought it was so far fetched." But I didn't because Gilbert told me to kind of like really push the limits of what a goal could be. Yeah. And I was like, "That's something probably it'll take a lifetime, probably even two lifetimes to do." But it just felt good because you know, like despite like the bad stuff that Christianity can sometimes have like the good stuff is like there's a lot of philosophy and self-improvement stuff working on yourself and all that stuff in the Christian religion and it's not quite known what Jesus did but I, I kind of have the belief he was just like someone who's just got rid of all his bad habits and he was just doing everything that he knows to make to know himself and yeah. to love unconditionally and like help people and like he was just the man like, that's, yeah. that's how I picture him so yeah I was like, that would be a great thing for the band to achieve one to day. focus on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and isn't he, he talks about that gap, and the gap is where you want to be and where you are now. Mm. What you have to figure out is what needs to happen in, in that gap and between those two things yep. for you to get there, and it's such a such a cool way to look at it. And even just thinking about it, like just having it on the mind, like thinking about it, every, you know, when I meditate, I kind of try and bring up these things that I've learnt, and it just kind of spills into your life, like, Subconsciously, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that I'm a huge believer in the power of goal setting. You know, I think that there's this really unique phenomenon. It's called the beta mining phenomenon, and what it means is that, like, you know, if you buy a new car, then all of a sudden you drive out in the road and you see that car everywhere, mm. and it's like, well, you know, if you buy a 1999 red Toyota Corolla, and all of a sudden you drive out into the road and there's, you know, these 1999 red Toyota Corollas everywhere. It's like mm. those cars were always there, yeah, but you just didn't see them. Yep. And by buying a car, it sort of activates that. I don't know the the neuroscience behind it, but it must sort of activate that part in your brain and you start looking for things. Mm. And so I think, you know, like when, like you just alluded to, then it's it's when you write something down or you you know you meditate on something and it's conscious and in your brain, you start to look for things that sort of go oh well that sort of aligns with that and that you know it's not a red Toyota but you're looking for opportunities and yeah. I think that really works and sometimes you don't know you know you don't know until you're like ah oh. you start thinking about why did I make that choice and it's like ah oh. yeah yeah yeah, yeah so I fully believe in the power of visualisation and, and goal setting I've got a vision board do you have a vision board have you done one of those no I, I kind of just keep it in my head yeah, yeah I, I don't know why I don't write things down but I meditate a lot so I'm bringing up stuff all the time and I've kind of spoken to a few people and it's just the way like I, I feel like it works, yeah, it with works me. for you. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Everyone's different. I'm quite a visual sort of person, so images tend to work quite well with me. I show I've got a I read a book called The Winner's Bible. Cool. By um guy in New Zealand called uh, Dr. Kerry Speckman. I'll show him one afterwards. It's it's all about sort of visual goal setting, I guess. Cool, I'd love to see Let's it. sort of go back a bit to the star a little bit. We got a bit carried away just because we were interested in what we were <laughs> chatting about beforehand. Obviously, uh, you're in six sixty. 
And, you know, I would say right now you're New Zealand's biggest band, you know, particularly with the last couple of shows you've had. But I guess your rise to success has been such a cool story. And maybe we can sort of start at the beginning, and I'm sure you know 99.9% of the the people that listen to this are going to know exactly who your band is. Obviously, you're you're a professional musician now. Was was music always in your blood and your family? Did you did you play music at high school? Was that sort of how you got into it? Yeah, so music wasn't in my family whatsoever. I got into it what I thought was late. I was about 13. I was at uh, intermediate, and um, a friend of mine just started playing the guitar in front of me, and I don't know what it was, but it just I was instantly gravitated towards it. So I started just <laughs> um, nagging them every day to like learn songs. The first song it was like um, a Bob Marley song, No Woman, No Cry. But he had a different version. He played a different, I don't know, like an acoustic version. Had like all these kind of lead parts. And I was like, can you teach me exactly like where my finger goes and like exactly how you do it? And then after I learned a few songs from him, I, there was someone else in the school who was like really good. So I went to him like, and he, he was only playing Metallica. So I started learning Metallica songs yeah. just because – and, like, the ones he was teaching me were, like, really cool, like, kind of Spanish-y ones. So I got into music through that and then um, through the guitar and I nagged my dad who didn't really understand. He was just, like, cool, he's into it. And he got my first acoustic guitar and I just stayed on Metallica. And, yeah, I, I started getting into bands in high school, like metal bands and <laughs> – we actually went to the Rock Quest and, and won it. And like when I was Did like you? seventeen, what was your band called? It was called Scalpel. Oh really? Like <laughs> but, a metal band. Yeah, and you but, won the Rock Quest. Yeah, right yeah. That was it. Was just the regionals we won, but yeah, uh, that was a cool experience. And we keep playing in bars and stuff. Even when I was un- underage, we used to get snuck in and play for the for the bar and stuff like that. So I got onto music. Yeah, just through I don't know. It was just yeah. out of nowhere. Yeah. But then um, then I looked at photos and stuff as I was getting into it um, when I was younger and I always had a ukulele with me and um, I actually remember destroying it one day. It was like f- maybe four or five and I literally, I must have been following Jimi Hendrix because I had the bandana on yeah, yeah, and yeah. I had my guitar in my left hand yeah. or the ukulele in the left hand. So there must have been some something back in the day. And I actually, another memory was uh, I used to play the coat hanger and like, play it so hard that my fingers would bleed because I was just trying to strum along with yeah, it. Yeah, so it's yeah. kind of like when yeah. I was really, really young. Wow. Yeah, and so I, I, in high school I was in a few bands and then I kind of grew up and uh, we, we kind of struggled as a family. So as I was getting older and like looking to kind of look for something for a career, I started focusing more on, on my school. I think school C which was what I was doing when yeah, I was – Yeah, I was the same, yeah. And for form um, – I remember it being a big deal and I was like, put everything to the side and I, that year I focused on my studies and I got that and then um, the next goal was was uh, university. And um, yeah, it's just like not everything around me with my family and brother and sister was just wasn't looking good and I was like, the only thing that made sense to me was just I felt like guaranteed something was getting a degree. So I put everything to the side, everything was a hobby like music and stuff and I just focused on my studies Got into university, which was really stoked. What did you study at uni? Uh, mechanical engineering. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I went to Canterbury yeah. and um, did my full four years and came out of mechanical engineering with honours. From then I went straight to Dunedin. Got my first job at Fisher & Parkhill down there mm-hmm. and that's where I met the 660 boys. Really? Yeah. So you didn't go to uni down there. You were, you were working down there. At Fisher & Parkhill in my school. Yeah. Mm. And then it all just started from there. Yeah, I, I knew Eli. Mm-hmm. The drummer, he was a hostel. Oh, yeah, like a hostel, border, yeah, yeah. Border, yeah, yeah. At, at my high school. And so I, he was in my maths class and I remember he came to our school quite late, like fifth form. 
oh no, sixth form was his first year. And I was like, who's this guy? He's from Palmerston North. He beat me in one of the mid-year exams in maths. And yeah. I was like, whoa, this guy's smart. <laughs> I was like surprised because he's yeah. so quiet. Um, and so, yeah, and Dunedin and I caught up with him. And um, I heard about 616 as soon as I got there. And everyone was saying, oh, yes, this band going around. They play at parties and stuff. And they were really cool. And they play like cool covers and stuff like that. And then um, Eli was in the band. And I was like, oh, what are you up to, Eli? He's like, oh, you know, just in this band. And he's like, I was. I asked him if he's keen to start another band, mm-hmm. and we so we started another band and um, with a couple of other people down there, and kind of for a while was side by side. He'd be doing both, and I had met the guys from Six Sixty, but I hadn't quite seen them play. And then we got on the same bill, mm-hmm. so the the two bands that Eli was in. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we opened for Six Sixty, and um, the first time I seen them, I was just blown away. Firstly, by Machu's voice, I was like, whoa, like he's got a great voice, and we hit it off afterwards, and then. Um, the guitarist Jai actually had to leave for a few weeks to go home and they had a couple of 21sts they had booked. So um, they asked me because I played guitar as well and I was playing keyboards as well as around that time to if I can sub in and play these shows that they got booked. So it was like three or four shows and then after that it was, yeah, the rest is history. Yeah, stayed on. Yeah, absolutely. Why do you think it got so big? I mean, like I was thinking about it. I was listening to a podcast the other day and it was with Jay-Z and Jay-Z reckoned, he sort of credits his initial launch into music to the fact that there was a whole group of people that felt like they grew up with him, you know, that he was like the soundtrack to their, I don't know if it's their youth or their adolescence or their whatever it is. And I think, you know, do you think that's maybe the same with, with 660, that you have sort of become the music that almost defined a generation, you know, that sort of university, you know, like if you're between the ages of like 20 and maybe 35 now, then mm. like you sort of grew up in that story of you guys being like playing at 21st and parties mm. to now being where you are today. You think that's part of it or is... That's definitely part of it. Yeah, there was just like this thing happening when we are at uni, especially when we are coming up, it was like just before we left Dunedin as a band, we released the first EP. We were always known as like this cool party band. Like we played the right covers, you know, the, the covers that weren't like mainstream but were like cool and everyone loved and we played them really well and I think... We, we just got a reputation for just being just cool dudes who just play music. And yeah. and we had quite a, amongst the five of us, we had a quite a big and a quite different friend group. They were mutually inclusive, but they were still quite different. Yeah. You know, and um, as a whole, it, it kind of hit a lot of people. So as soon as we released the EP, there was like a big little surge of like something happening. Yeah, yeah. And um, naturally being at a university and not being from there, I think – you know, you tell your friends, which at that stage, you know, internet was like going crazy and stuff like that. And social media, like Facebook was really hitting off. So it was easy to share, you know, if you're in Dunedin, but you're from like Auckland, then you'll tell your mates from Auckland who are at other universities. And so like it started spreading like yeah, like really fast like that. Yeah. And sooner or later, we, we're just starting to get messages like come play in Wellington, come play in Christchurch. And so we did. Yeah. And so the idea was this community there and it's like people coming up with us and the same age and same music tastes and stuff like that. We were kind of trying to play the latest and the greatest, you know, like drum and bass was huge back then. So Shapeshifter was a big influence on us and core and stuff that were just coming out that time. So we are playing that stuff and playing like trying to listen to the newer stuff of drum and bass and then dubstep came and we're like, oh, we're trying to incorporate those elements and stuff like that. So, yeah, we were always trying to get the best and cooler song that was out there and we used to play that, cover that. And then our 
our original music just through the network we had built yep. through doing that and just for our friend group and through the university networks. So you're still sort of playing covers and you're just sort of slotting originals in as you were playing? Yeah, until the EP. We had a, like a seven-track EP that came out like... Do you know, that was, I've worked it out in the last week. That was the last CD that I bought. Ever. Oh really? You know, like everything's digital now. Like I was Ooh. thinking back, and I was like, I remember buying it, and I like, I think I had to like order it online, and like you guys posted it to yeah, me. Yeah, like, exactly. It was like old school. <laughs> like it was really old school. I think yeah. that was the last one I actually. Oh bought. wow. Yeah, funny. Eh? So anyway, so you, you released the EP, then you sort of stopped doing the cover stuff. Yeah, we. Um, it was kind of like a band decision. Like it never crossed our mind to record covers. We played them, but to record, we're like, there's no use recording covers. They've already yeah. been done. But let's just record our originals and. A few of the guys were leaving Dunedin, so it was more of a memento. Yeah. It's like, oh, let's create something because we've you know, done so well here with our music. And like, and so we hacked together, um, got some people to help us and recorded it, and it was just a memento. It's like, hey, yeah. let's put it out. And, so, and Facebook had just kind of got it really established in New Zealand. And the coolest thing, which they don't have anymore on there, was that if you had a Facebook page for a band or something like that or a company, you could just upload – music without any restrictions and share it without any restrictions whatsoever That's straight right. away. Yeah, yeah. So we uploaded the seven tracks and all you need to do is just go to our page and press play straight away. It yeah. didn't matter what kind of computer you had. You could just play the song. So like a lot of people discovered our music through that. Yeah. And for the year or two after, it just started spreading really really fast yeah. yeah and so you said you were all sort of leaving Dunedin like was that when you say that do you mean that you were sort of intending to go your separate ways as a band no I wasn't so I, I was there to work so was Eli but the rest of the guys Machu and Jai at Hawaii at the time they just finished their degrees so Machu had a, had a job lined up he was on his way to become a lawyer so he was going to go up to Auckland and do that and everyone else had some things to do so I was going to stay there, yeah, and that's so. It's just mainly them. So yeah, the band was like, okay, this, this is done. Yeah. So they actually did leave, yeah. and um, I stayed down there with Eli. I was working, and we just kept getting requests to play, and we were. It was just Eli and I down there. We kind of started, kind of like, oh, let's try and get some festivals, you know, like let's try and keep it going, and the guys were happy to do it. So they were working up in in Auckland, and they. Every time we get like a festival or something, they'll come fly down because we would try and get them locally. Yeah. Or we'd go anywhere in New Zealand and we'd all fly there. It was quite expensive. Yeah, fair. And just play these festivals and then just straight away it just started getting more momentum to the point where um, everyone had to kind of give up their job, their day jobs and start committing full time. And lots of people dream of being a musician and mm. you sort of get to the point and I guess there's like a point in time where you've got to make a decision that's like, right, well, you're a trained engineer, you've got a job. Mm. You know, from what you said, you've got a pretty good you know, motivation for, for a job and a career that you're sort of trying to you know, earn a decent living off. Mm. And all of a sudden you're like, I'm going to throw it all in and um, give this music thing a go. Yeah, for me, it took a while. From when we really started taking off, it was a good three years for me to transition. Other guys, um, they transitioned earlier. I think because, you know, Machu had his family up in, in Auckland, so he could stay there. I had no one, I didn't know anyone in Auckland. So if I was to move there, which was a band decision, we should base ourselves out of Auckland, I would have to get a flat. I'd have probably had to find the money to rent and stuff like that. So I just had to work. So I couldn't transition as fast as those guys. So I was the last one to transition, actually, to full-time. And personally, like, uh, there's always been this, kind of pull towards the band personally 
pull towards like like I never doubted whether or not I wanted to not do the the band thing. Mm-hmm. It was just, just like sometimes you just like gravitated towards something so strongly and never never crosses your mind to like ah oh, maybe this won't work out. Yeah, and that's that's always been with me. It's just like this. So you kind of knew that it was the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. from as soon as I saw them when we opened for them that time, yeah. I was like, this could re- go really well. And then as soon as I got in and f- knew kind of how the guys thought and, and all that, I was like, yeah, oh, yes, it's a matter of time. There was no yeah. way that I was going to give it up. And yeah. I still have that that passion yeah. today. Yeah. Was it something you dreamed of, like being a, you know, like when you were growing up, was it, yeah, it was did, a, you, did yeah. you consider being a, a musician? Daydreams and stuff. Yeah. I used to daydream a lot. Like I was a big daydreamer. I was just to sit there like looking out into the distance and think, oh, it'd be cool. It was like at the beginning it was, it was to impress girls and like, oh, I just imagine she saw me like this. Or like I used to like, um, the, <laughs> this is funny, but there was this one girl I, I really liked in like fifth form or sixth form. There was a band that was doing really well and I was in this other band that was, this was after Scalpel, after the metal band that I was just kind of like created because I was just still into it and we weren't doing so well and then this band I was like really impressed with I think it might have been the Thomas Oliver band okay yeah, yeah um, and I was like whoa like and I kind of imagined being in that band and I'm like oh just imagine like the attention I would get you know like <laughs> and I, then I'd imagine further and like I listened to like as soon as I started hearing New Zealand music it's usually I usually do it to to people in my vicinity so if it was like Shapeshift or Fat Freeze I'm like just imagine being like that just imagine like Playing in front of this crowd that I'm in now, watching yeah, them yeah, and like yeah. stuff like that, and then as sixty progressed, I started moving that towards like just imagine being now it's like the Beatles, still the Beatles. Yeah, like yeah. just imagine doing what the Beatles have done. They've done so much in my eyes yeah, that yeah. we still haven't done yet. So yeah, this just kept with me. Did you think it would get this big? N- well, yes and no. So I didn't think it would do Western Springs as soon as we. It wasn't even on my mind of a thing to do. It was more like, oh, let's do um, the stadiums, you know, like, but Western Springs so iconic, but so big and just, it's just such a unicorn venue. Like it's, it's not something that it's like pushing your face like this. It goes Spark Arena. That was like a huge thing for us, mm-hmm. which we did. What's that, 9,000? Oh yeah, 9,000. Yeah. And then we were going to go, oh, let's do the Mount Smart. Like that's like the obvious. And mm-hmm. I don't know why Western Springs wasn't there. It wasn't until our manager, our current manager came and it was like, why aren't you guys doing Western Spring? That's like really iconic and like only the biggest, biggest of acts play there. And we're like, oh, oh no, we didn't think about that. It's like, yeah, let's do it. I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I didn't think that would happen. But in terms of just like us progressing stepwise, yeah. I always knew it was there. It's just a matter of time. And I was just like, just please don't break up or, you know, nothing bad happened. Like that. Yeah. If that didn't happen, I. It's just a matter of time. Yeah, that's cool. And what's Western Springs like? I mean, obviously you guys have had a big month. You, you sold out Western Springs. Mm. No New Zealand band's ever done that, ever. Mm. Like That's where like the Foo Fighters play. Mm. You know, I think Mumford and Sons played there like a couple of weeks before you guys. Yeah, they did. Did they sell it out? Do you know? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's epic. Like, you know, you talked about, you know, being a daydreamer as a kid, you know, and now you sit there and you're playing 50,000 people come to see your band. Yeah. Do you reflect on that and just be like, what? It's kind of got too big for me to reflect on it and, and kind of actually feel what we've done. And I and the way I, I live at the moment, I kind of just don't really focus on that stuff. So, yeah, I can't really comprehend it. You know, the next day after the show, I was back into my morning routine and, like, trying to get into the studio and, like, because that's the stuff I can control me. And, like, I just know that if I focus on the other stuff, I'll just I'll lose my way. Yeah. It has happened in the past 
like I'm a very structured guy and I guess it goes hand in hand with uh, doing engineering but probably before that I was I was very just trying to do stuff that I know works and that I can touch and feel and I can use my senses to to do it like that's I've always been gravitated towards that and that was it's definitely influenced by my upbringing because my upbringing was so chaotic uh, with my family and stuff that like I just had to find stuff that I knew worked to get through it yeah. mentally and so I've carried that through right through and I don't comprehend it at all. Yeah, I mean, with an audience, you know, like I've never stood in front of fifty thousand people, but mm. I would think that you know, like once you get over like a thousand people in this in front of you, like it, it must be almost hard to quantify. You know, you look at some of those when they play like Glastonbury or Woodstock, and there was like you know, there's like a hundred thousand people there. So you you almost can't your brain can't compute no, it. You no. know, it's just it's, it was yeah. Like we played Villa Maria, which was like in terms of just like. How, how much you can see the crowd and how big it is. That was the first time I was like, whoa, there's a lot of people here. <laughs> yeah. And it's like a natural amphitheater so you can like really see, see them all. Everyone, yeah. yeah, and um, once we did that, in terms of comparing that to Western Springs, no, not much of a difference. It's just a big blob of people. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. I can't really yeah, yeah. tell the difference. And, but what I did notice was the sound difference, the tone of the sound and the power of it. I oh, was yeah. like, whoa, it was just a different tone and it was just a different power. I was like, whoa, yeah. 50,000 people. It just it vibrated right through you. Where it's like, you know, Villa Maria was just less, just different like that, yeah. Do you feel like you've made it? Well, you know, the goal I set at the yeah, start yeah, of it. Yeah. Nah, not really. Yeah. I don't want to ever make it personally. It's just something that if I feel like I've made it, I'll know myself that I'll start slowing down and not pushing further. Obviously, in people's other people's eyes and different perspectives, yeah, we've definitely accomplished many things. But yeah, I'll always kind of have that mindset that I have never made it. I think that's that's the good way to you know, regardless of what field you're in. I think that you know, if you ever think that you've reached a pinnacle, then like you said, you sort of stop trying, and it's that sort of constant challenge of something that seems slightly out of reach that kind of keeps you motivated sometimes, doesn't it? It does, yeah. And like I do it on the smaller scales too, just like like at the moment I'm trying to do front split and middle split. That's gymnastics. Oh, splits, thing. yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and handstands. And it's, I was so tight and so rigid before I started this like two years ago. And um, I do these stretch sessions every week and I'm getting better, but <laughs> like it's going to take so long. And like, yeah. So I've already got something in my life outside of the band that I'm like, struggling with and yeah. like I've got so much more improvement to do and it, I do believe that everything you do in your life no matter what it is spills into the other things so like if I'm struggling at something and I'm challenging myself and breaking through those challenges that'll get carried on through the band and I'll be stronger and more confident in the band no matter what it is so yeah. that's what keeps me from freaking out and getting anxiety it's like I could have some, be having something to do and trying to achieve Yeah. so that yeah I, I try and pick up as many things as possible but I'm noticing now that they're kind of all I used to think they're so different like oh, doing gymnastics and music and engineering is like so, such different things like there's no there's no crossover there's different parts of the brain and stuff like that but as you drill down deeper and deeper and deeper you see that like down in the deep levels there's just this crossover there's this yeah. harmony and it's like once you master one thing you're able to see and become the master of other things yeah. that what always comes to mind is like I don't like the saying jack of all trades, master of none. I like flipping it and saying yeah. like master of all trades, jack of none. Yeah. Did you watch the show um, The Pretender when you were small? No. Yeah. Oh, no. Like I remember when I was like eight or nine, there was yeah. a show called The Pretender where this guy could 
literally do anything. He's yeah. so smart. He can just jump to any field. So he'd be a surgeon one episode, then he'll yeah, jump yeah. and be like this like police officer or detective and stuff like that. That always has stuck with me. It's like, why not? Yeah. Like people say, yeah, you can't do that. Like you just have to stick to one thing, specialize. Like as I'm getting out, I'm like, no, I don't know about that. Like yeah, yeah. I'm going to try and learn about everything and try and get as deep. But I do believe that you have to master one thing to be yeah. able to know how to master other things because yeah. you break through so many mental things, barriers when you're mastering that one thing that you can carry those forward and kind of skip a few steps with yeah. the other stuff. Absolutely. Well, challenging the norm and other people's perceptions is always a, a good start. And I think what you said there about, you know, having that things are sort of interconnected. And that's why, like, on this podcast, you know, I've talked to, you know, you're a musician, I've talked to people that have had business success, sporting success. I think that there's underlying traits in people that have achieved a certain level of success in their life that can easily transpose into a number of different things. And that's kind of what you're alluding to. Like, if you've got the, mm. the patience and the grit and the resilience and the work ethic mm. and the perseverance to stick at you know something mm. those are traits that a human being has you mm. know like and if you can have those and you can apply those in one thing you can probably apply them in something else you know yeah. like and if you can apply the patience that you've been with two years with learning to do the splits yeah into your engineering or into your music then there's no doubt that you're going to experience a, a level of success and maybe that's you know interesting you say everyone should master one thing maybe that's these days that sort of people are so surface driven yeah you know like it's really easy to be a jack of all to do this for a couple of years and this for a couple of years and even with people's jobs these days like i think i had more jobs before i was 20 than my granddad had his entire life wow. you know, he did one job you know yeah. like for his entire life and yeah. he got really good at it and you know and then he retired it's mm. like i mean i don't know if these days if people have that sort of mindset of just doing one thing really really well yeah and just no you know you can still do other things but like i feel like yeah you have to just break through on one one thing to kind of get because you learn so many lessons that are so nuanced when you're mastering something way down there and they do help you like master the other things yeah well i think they they can you know transition across anything those fundamental lessons of becoming good at something which are things like challenges and resilience and that kind of stuff they are most definitely can be transposed onto yeah onto anything i don't think i would add on that is like the awareness to know where you're at and the progress of what you're doing what you're trying to achieve like that's something that only recently that I've really honed in on is like knowing how good or bad you are at the thing you're trying to learn and being able to reassess accurately. I've done a lot of work on um, just learning about philosophy and kind of like a lot of little things like, you know, Buddhism and in that world, that kind of spiritual world of just being present and being fully aware of like how you feel and fully aware of where you are and like looking at different perspectives of one situation and trying to figure out like, oh, okay, this is my next move. So of the splits, like I, I did hit a rough patch. I was just wasn't getting any progress and um, I just wasn't going hard enough and I wasn't doing anything else outside of that and I realised that I'm like, oh, I've been doing the exact same thing and like in the course it actually says you should try and do stuff outside that helps all these muscles that you're trying to work on to do the splits and I was just not doing it. I just thought if I just do these stretches, I'm going to eventually get it but for a few months, I was just getting no progress. So I just switched it up, started doing other things like hit classes and doing weighted stuff and focusing on the muscles and stuff like that. And then when I went back, boom, yeah. I got heaps of progress. So I think self-awareness is such an underrated trait in people. The ability to look at yourself through like a, an almost sort of independent, non-judgmental 
eye mm. and say, look, like this is exactly where I'm at right now because mm. that's where you can start from, you know, mm. like, I mean, I don't know, probably a generalisation, but males probably tend to over-exaggerate where they are and, yeah. and females maybe the opposite, you know, that's mm. a, maybe a generalisation, but the ability to sort of see where you are honestly and realistically it mm. gives you the you've got to understand that first before you can go anywhere like I know in our business planning process for example the first thing that we do is what we call a navigation check so a navigation check and mm. the, the story behind it was that like if I you know locked you in the boot of a car and drove you out to the middle of nowhere you know got you out and said like go home the first thing you'd have to do is figure out where you are mm. so you know which direction to go to start with and I think you know that's the same in, in business or music or anything you're doing that to make any sort of progress, you've got to be realistic at where you're starting from so you know which direction to aim at. Like this is where meditation comes in for me and probably yourself. You know, there's a wrong view about meditation. They think it's just clear the mind, not think about anything. But it's a very useful tool to kind of do that, like check in with yourself, check in where you are in life. Like just very small, you don't have to go like think about your whole life and go into a lot of detail, but just to check yourself that's what I use meditation for, just to go, okay, where am I at? My goals and stuff like that. What am I, anything bugging me? Um, and that's just, yeah, I'm trying to check in with my awareness and where I'm at in life and where I'm in today, what I need to do today and how I need to kind of go forward. And so, yeah, a lot of people underestimate the power of, of meditation. They don't think you can do that with that. So I think that's, there's many ways you can use it, but that's definitely one that's worked for me. Yeah, what does that, what does your meditation process look like? I start off with um, pranarama breathing, which is like this nostril breathing, just a tool to kind of get the heart rate down. So it's like a 10 seconds breath in, which is quite long, mm. and then 10 seconds out. And I do that for a while until I start to feel really calm. And when I get to that place, then I start meditating. So I mix it up. I do mantra-based meditation where mm. I'm just repeating a word and trying to focus on it. And my mind does wander, and um, sometimes it's useful to – go to that thought and kind of see what it's about. But then I try and bring it back. I listened to um, this podcast, Tim Ferriss, recently, probably a year ago, and he something that really resonated with me is that when, you, when you're trying to focus on, say, your breath or like a word that you're repeating in your mind and you find yourself go to a thought and go off that, when you're coming back, that's like a mini letting go. It's like letting go of something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so... And so the more you do that, which you are going to do in a meditation, you're going to go back and forth, back and forth. You're going to get always distracted by a thought. It was just it's so slippery. You're like, whoa, I can't believe I like, you're trying to focus really hard. It's like almost the more you focus on like your breathing or the mantra, the more you'll get like flinged off to distracted, a thought. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's like a bicep kill. It's like going to the gym and doing a bicep kill for letting something go. Yeah emotionally letting something go because you, you come back, which you're letting go of that thought. Mm-hmm. You're kind of telling yourself like, it's all right. You don't have to worry about that right now. You're like literally sitting down. Like, why? Yeah, yeah. Why do you need to like launch into this like emotional thought? So after a while, like for me, it's taken a while. My meditation is now. I've been doing it for about two years, pretty consistently. I can get into the zone really quick. Now I um I have to stop myself from meditating. Whereas before, I couldn't wait to for ten minutes to be up or, or twenty minutes to be up. Yeah. Now I have to I have to stop myself. Yeah. Like I, I can drop right in and. I go through the process of the breathing, the mantra based, and then at the end, the last five minutes or ten minutes, I just like being grateful yep. for things. Yep. So gratitude, and I just like think of three things in the last day that I'm grateful for. Yep. Sometimes I launch into like three things in my life I'm grateful for, which mm-hmm. is a longer process. So I like go through my family, each member, bring them to my mind, yep. and go like I'm grateful for that for these reasons. And and then recently I've been doing goal settings 
all dreams yeah. for each of my relationships. Like, what was my dream? Where would I like this relationship to go to? So if my, my girlfriend now of three years, like I think about like, I just want to be deeper in love and learn about love and with my family. I I just want the best for them. I just want to help them and I want them to kind of like level up themselves and like be content and happy. And then also this is practice you can go to people who irritate you Mm -hmm. and just kind of wish them peace and love and stuff like that. It's just like all the emotional attachments and energy and like kind of emotion that you have in your life starts to kind of just wear off and you start to see things objectively yeah, yeah. without this like big facade of emotion and preconceptions and stuff like that. Yeah, I think we get into autopilot sometimes, you know, like yeah. and kind of what you almost correct me if I'm wrong, but you're sort of saying that, you know, meditating helps you sort of like get out of that sort of autopilot of just day after day after day you can yeah. sort of focus on. Yeah, yeah. That was one of the first breakthroughs, like putting full stops into your day. You know, we constantly go through life from next task to next task, next task, next task. No, not putting like full stop it's like full stop take a breath take a pause okay what am i doing next full conscious effort on the next task it's, yeah. everything just rolls into and you yeah. get to the end of the day and you're like oh and it keeps going in your yeah. head and stuff and you go to bed with it i noticed that but i didn't notice that i was doing that until i started kind of doing this kind of philosophy stuff mm-hmm. this kind of learning about the mind learning about meditation and i was like oh i'm pretty sweet i'm pretty cool i, I don't have a problem and then <laughs> Sure enough, like you know, you find yourself doing these things that you never thought you did. Yeah, I think the full stop's quite a good analogy because often, particularly if someone's driven, you know, like if you're motivated and, mm. and goal orientated and, and driven, that sometimes you forget to actually look back at what you've achieved and mm. what you've accomplished, even if it's something small. You know, mm. like I cooked a really nice dinner tonight and mm. my wife loved it, or whatever it is. Mm. You know, like sometimes you just get so, like you said, caught up, and it's like you almost feel like a treadmill. You know, mm. you're never actually going anywhere. You kind of feel mm. it's, it's such a good um, analogy. Put a full stop on things, and, yeah. and I guess meditation or some form of reflection, and where it's I do. You you know, this page here is my my gratitude stuff, and I do it the same sort of thing. And it just, you know, I try to write yeah, even small things down, like a walk with the dog, or a swim with the dog, or mm. you know, like an ice cream, or you know, like something that mm. I really sort of. And I think focusing on the things that are good tend to help them. You know, I talked about that that car analogy before. You know, mm. that phenomenon where you see the red car. Yeah, it's like I think if you focus on good stuff, you tend to find more good stuff. Yeah, to you start to gravitate towards it. Yeah, 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 and it starts coming into your life. But you know, you're making a conscious effort. Yeah, well, it's always there, and I think you know, naturally, we're sort of born with this negativity bias. You know, and mm. I went to this to see a guy called Nathan Wallace speak last night. Have you heard of him? No, I don't know if he's a neuroscientist or um, he talks about the development of the brain. In anyway. This negativity bias, it goes right back from, you know, before we evolved when, you know, like we assumed everything was dangerous because that's mm. how you survived. You know, mm. if you look at a bird now, for example, like a bird or a fish thinks everything's trying to get it. You know, yeah. like the tree blows and they take off. Yeah. You're a bird for God's sake, you're in a tree. Like, yeah. You know, but like... But if you didn't have that... If they didn't have that... You, you know, have like, one and chance. It, and it was a cat, yeah. then they would die. Yeah. And so like we naturally have this negativity bias wired into our brain, hardwired mm. deep within our human brain that looks for things that are wrong mm. because generally things that were wrong were dangerous to yeah. us. You know, like if there was a saber-toothed tiger behind you, mm. you needed to run from that pretty quickly and you needed to notice that. So now when we look, you know, we don't have tigers behind us and we don't have, you know, things trying to kill us as much, mm. but naturally our brains sort of can look for things that are wrong. And mm. so I think the practice of gratitude or recognising things or some sort of reflection helps you look back and go, some really good stuff happened yesterday and mm. it was really amazing. And even though there was something, you know, like you can have 
a really good day, but one bad thing happens and someone's like, how's your day? And you're like, oh, man, it was horrible, like this happened. Yeah. You know, but realistically you had 90% of it was good, but yeah. one bad thing happened and it always sort of prioritises. And that was really interesting what he said last night and I, I found that quite interesting about the negativity bias. Mm. Back to when you are speaking about the band before, was there a transition when it went from being a band to a business? You know, like, I mean, because essentially 660 is a business now. You know, the, the shows you're doing, the arenas you're filling out, like it, it is a business. And was there a noticeable transition for that? And if so, was there a conscious effort to make sure that you still maintain the enjoyment of being a band? Yeah, I have seen this coming up recently in like uh, articles and stuff about us, like this business thing. There never was a transition into like now we're a business and like let's make it official. It was just there were always things we did and the way we thought that were business like what what people would think is business like. So for example, like goal setting and stuff and achieving things that we need to do, like we focusing on weaknesses and trying to figure out how to like get better. That was just a natural thing that we've done all the time. Like I remember when we first started, you know, when I told you that it was just Eli and I down in Dunedin. Yeah. And uh, apparently when you're a starting out band, you make this thing called a, like a press kit. It's like a short little thing about who you are, what your goals are, like what you want to do. Eli was at that time kind of starting a business. He was like this computer software business. He was kind of doing that. And he was listening to a lot of Tony Robbins kind of stuff like that, so entrepreneurial stuff. And I just naturally was into that stuff too. So I remember we were like, we put together a press kit, like let's like, and we, we figured it out, we sat down, we brainstormed, we like did all that stuff and we made a press kit and it was really good and we sent it out. And then, yeah, it's just along the journey that we always think like that. And our reason we got in Gilbert and Oka and we got in some other people as well just to help us is – we never thought of ourselves as a business. We just want to get better. And I think the solutions to getting better from the outside look like we're a business, but like we're pretty much the same. Like yeah. we, we hang out with just boys, you know, like we, we don't have like a board meeting or anything like that. We don't have like a, a check-in with the accountant that often. Yeah. Our manager, you know, does a few assessments like that, but I don't know, like I've been in a business. I've, I worked for Fisher and Parkle for three years, so mm. – it's so structured in these meetings and these like you have to like look at your um, your plan and like reassess and like change the plan, tell everyone about it. Like there's all this like rigid uh, structural stuff. We don't have any of that. We talk about it a lot though. So I guess that's yeah. The elements are always been there. That makes it look like a business, and then the way we approach things is looks like a business as well. So yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like no, they completely understand it. It's, I mean, obviously, it's sort of. You're focused on being a band, but a byproduct of, of you getting better and your success sort of growing is that it's morphed into a business as well. But fundamentally underneath it all, you've, you're just a five lads that enjoy being in a band. Yeah, together. but we have these tendencies yeah. to think like business people. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. see. And so what is like, you know, you talked about like a goal-setting session and that was one of my questions, you know, does a band sit down and do a goal-setting session? You know, what sort of things, do you know, like as a goal like play Western Springs or as a goal like, you know, how do you, what sort of things are you focusing on? Like the way we've done it is we actually have done like sit down and do a goal setting session, but that was a few years ago. And what we do now is we set a goal, one thing, like we want to do Western Springs, for example, and then we just focus on that. And personally, individually, we have like goals and stuff, but we don't actually sit down and write them down and stuff. Now we just once as soon as we finish Western Springs, we 
got together with our manager and was like, what's next? You know, what, what's the natural, you can kind of feel the natural next goal. And like what it was, was, was uh, to get overseas and kind of get our music overseas a bit more because our presence overseas is next to nothing. It's like, like we've got this massive, created this huge phenomenon in New Zealand, but like even in Australia, it's like way down, like stuff like that. So we're, that's our big goal now is like to take a big step outside of New Zealand, but you know, obviously preserve what we have in New Zealand and um, use that as a platform. Like as we've got older, when we were younger, when we were first coming out and we had a taste of success, we wanted to go overseas straight away. Like that was our – and we kind of like try to even say that – let's not tell people overseas that we're from New Zealand. Like let's try and not get this like bias or this this preconception because there was a preconception that when you're from anywhere but the States and you're trying to get from the, to the States, they're kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, well – you kind of you guys are like way over there. Don't really know about you. Yeah. So we try to our best not to kind of say the location base. But mm-hmm. as we've got older, we've realised like that is our superpower. It's a strength. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, a, it's a, something that's unique, and like someone like Lord has really paved that out, and and other people, and it's just this whole. Have you heard of the the hero's journey? Yes. Yeah. 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 So it's just like coming back home and realising ah. Oh, it was always there. Yeah, it was yeah. always inside of us, and yeah, yeah. it was due to everything that we've been brought up, and that makes us special. Yeah. And you know, Western Springs personified that. Like that's like coming home, and, coming home, and yeah. like and just it's funny. Someone this, someone else actually pointed this out. We had the song "Don't Forget Your Roots," right, which was about don't forget where you're from, don't forget that. We actually after that song was released, we did the total opposite. And midway through that journey, we released a song called "White Lines." White Lines is like the opposite of "Don't Forget Your Roots." It's like Get out there and like, don't let anyone tell you what to do. You're allowed to do whatever you want. Just mm-hmm. get out there, like fly, like go for it. Yeah, you know. And that, if you put those two songs side by side, they're the yin and yang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we're like way past that song, and we've kind of come full circle, and we've realised like, ah, oh, what makes us special has always been from New Zealand. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it makes sense scientifically as well. You know, everything that in our bodies been like from the soil here yeah, and yeah. Like this kind of energy here. So I guess the goal now is just to kind of like. Bring out what makes us New Zealanders or what makes the spirit that's in, in New Zealand as a collective and individually we have different upbringings and different ways that we've been brought up in New Zealand. So it's just to kind of like realise that and go, yeah, that, that actually really... Embrace s- it. Embrace yeah. it, yeah, and take it out to the world and like show people what we've learnt yeah. by being here and what we've learnt about being around, around the world from the perspective of being Kiwis, yeah, and um, I do believe we have a, a special perspective on on things. You know, of stuff that's happened in Christchurch, like like no other countries like dealt with something like that, like mm. that. Like we have, we have this like I don't know. It's hard to put my finger on. It. It's something I want to talk to Gilbert about. Actually, yeah. it's like how to tap into the the spirit of like I'm, I'm part Maori, so yeah. I think there's a big influence of Maori in, in New Zealand as well. Yeah, and this and then the drive and like the entrepreneurship comes from the European influence and these like. A, a mixture in between yeah. all these other things that have like help us be who we are. That's our goal, just to take what we've learned and who we are to overseas and yeah. show people just a different perspective on life. Yeah, and you've obviously sort of come, like you said, full circle. It was like initially not wanting to tell people you're from New Zealand, and now yeah. it's like you're so proud of that fact. Yeah, like, this is us. This is, yeah, that's really cool. So, so now you're looking to do some shows overseas. Is that the plan? Yeah. So we at the moment we had a few people come from overseas to the Western Spring show. Some record label execs and some promoters and stuff like that from mainly from America and they loved the show like it was yeah. just went 
the show went perfect for that yeah. aspect. And so we're just waiting for stuff to come through, some deals or some offers. We're kind of at a place where we don't want to – so we've been through two major label experiences up till now, um, one in Germany and one in, in LA, and they didn't quite work out the way we wanted. So we've learned a great deal from those experiences. And we're a bit older now and we're kind of like getting to the stage of our lives where we're like we really need to kind of be efficient and not waste time with things, you know. Like I'm, I'm 33 and everyone's kind of getting a bit older. So we just need to kind of push it a bit and um, – try and be as efficient as possible and get to these goals that we want to get. It took us 10 years to get Western Springs in New Zealand. Like we don't want to take 10 years to do something similar around the world. We want to kind of expedite that somehow. So we're trying to look look for stuff that's bang for buck, that people who really believe in us. And at the moment we haven't got that. There's a few offers that come through, but yeah, we're being a bit, bit pedantic about that and careful. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably experience. You know, you obviously you've had a couple of bad experiences and yeah. Yeah, nothing's a teacher-like experience. No. Are you conscious about staying humble at all? Because, you know, like that's a very Kiwi thing to be, you know, quite humble and grounded. But, you know, like I, mean, I haven't met any other guys, but, mm. you know, I sent you a message online and next minute you're sitting in my living room, we're having a <laughs> chat. Like it's um, – and from, you know, the last hour or so of us chatting, you definitely seem very humble. And, you know, it must be so easy – for an ego to develop mm. when you are doing so well. It doesn't matter what it is, you know, whether you're a, a sports person might have the same sort of thing. Or, you know, and to the level that you have achieved success as, as the band, you could see why it could be, you know, having a, a big ego could be a possibility. Is it something you're conscious of? Yeah, well, so five years ago, I guess, when we were like going overseas for the first time, in um, retrospect, my ego was the biggest back then. I was about 25, so I hadn't quite had enough like life experience to kind of know what even ego was. And um, I just noticed myself just kind of worrying about things that I, I knew deep down didn't matter, like, you know, clothes and like Instagram and stuff just came out and social media and I was like just so concerned about making sure that was cool and stuff like that. And now, even though the, the the success of the band's way bigger than it was back then, I'm much more aware of it and can, can contain it. You're always going to get flare-ups. Like you, just people tell you stuff like, you know, blow a lot of wind up your ass. Yeah. Like you're, you're a little this and that. You've done this and that. And like, whoa. And it, it overwhelms me more these days. I've always had this kind of, I call it my bullshit meter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've always had it. Forever, when I was I've grown up, I hated compliments. It was I used to get embarrassed and flustered by them when people used to give me compliments, and um, I didn't know why. But only in the last two years, I've I've really got into that and started learning about what ego is and what are the um, characteristics of ego and and kind of ways to get around it and ways to even use it as a super, rather than using you. There is a time and place where ego is comes in. Like I don't see ego as like being arrogant. I, I see it as a confidence now. It can give you like. A, unbending confidence so I use it when I go on stage you know like I really put my chest out puff it up and I'm super confident and that's the good aspects of ego but yeah the the stuff where you go over and beyond that and you start to tell people and you start to kind of doing all these weird things that's when the ego is starting to take control so yeah I'm fully aware of it now and meditation helps a lot being in love helps a lot (laughs) I feel like when I was single it was just chasing girls was just like an addiction, you know, like and yeah. being in the band just it was easy, so it's like an easy thing to do. And I just got carried away with it. And yeah. now I found someone that I'm in love with. It's just like I can put that energy and use it somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. It's taken me a while, like yeah. to be honest, to kind of like the all this energy 
what do I do with it? And so that's why I've lumped myself into this kind of self-improvement, self-love thing. You know, I'm only at the start of the journey of self-improvement and stuff like that, but I can see, I can fully believe and see like it's the best path for me. Yeah, wonderful. And I think you, you hit the nail on the head of it. You know, there's got to be a balance of your ego does have to be present because you have to know that you're good at what you're doing. You know, mm. like if you're walking out on stage, you know, like completely underwhelmed by your inability to perform, it's like, well, you know, you have all these people that are paid to see you, like it's unfair of them. And I think yeah. for sports players, it must be the same thing. And it's an interesting question I've always wanted to ask you, but, you know, it's like, well, when a kicker's walking up to take a kick, it's like you want them to be confident that they're going to get it, but you don't want their ego to be so big that they think that, you know, like, always give me the ball you know like it's always me you know yeah. I think there's a you seem to have has struck a nice balance of well, obviously you understand it and you're pretty self-aware but that consciousness of ego but confident as well and that's you know performing is a perfect example of that and it is a um constant maintenance like you can't just learn about it and go oh yeah done i know about it now and it's sweet gonna be sweet it's constant maintenance i, I work on it through meditation I'm always aware of what I'm saying. Something that I should have bought a book called The Four Agreements. Have you heard about that? I know, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really helped me. Like just something I can use every day just to kind of go, oh, am I being impeccable with my word? Mm-hmm. Am I making assumptions? Am I taking things personally? And like those reminders make sure I might just get back on in the middle there, which is the balance, being yeah. confident but being vulnerable and not being arrogant and not being – too weak and weakness and vulnerability is something I've been thinking about recently the differences between the two weakness is I think acting without truth and without being honest and without revealing how you feel to your loved ones and not putting in the work to be a better person that turns into weakness vulnerability is admitting all those takes courage takes strength to be vulnerable so like that's a fine line too and these are all these dualities through life that you know you've got to constantly kind of that's why meditation checking in oh why am I feeling like this and you kind of zoom in on one little aspect of your life and go oh okay maybe I need to do a bit more the opposite to kind yeah. of get balance. Yeah, absolutely. The, the dualities is a, is a good point. I went and watched Jordan Peterson speak. Yeah. And um, and he talks about, you know, he's very controversial. And I put up a post just saying that I went and saw him and I got people were messaging me all sorts of things. It was yeah. odd. Anyway, he talked about the balance of order and chaos. Mm. You know, and I think that's kind of what you're alluding to. And, and if you're too much in order, then it's boring and mundane and there's no spark in your life. And yeah, and, too, you, and you close in ego-wise. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You close in. And if there's too much chaos, you know, then you're overexposed and, you know, you're, there's, there's too much coming in. And, you, and it's sort of that equal balance of being comfortable but also pushing yourself as well. Yeah. And I think when you have that perfect balance of the duality of, you know, of order and chaos or, mm. you know, vulnerability and strength, mm. that's when you sort of seem to be the most um, effective. I'm, I'm a fan of um, Jordan too. And like, yeah, I, I don't know why he's getting that controversial. Well, I do understand it, but he does have good stuff and it's nuanced what he says. And um, I learned through, it's kind of through his book. I flicked through it, The 12 Rules of Life, but there was the one chapter on masculine and feminine. And I, I always thought masculine was man, 100%, and feminine was woman. And someone told me, it was actually this, um, someone who I, I mentor I see in Auckland, Harley, he, he said, no, no, every male and female have both energies. He, kind of, he called them energies, the masculine energy and feminine energy. He's like, masculine is what you, is order. It's like rigidity, kind of like, Blind strength, just getting it done. And feminine is just like this flow, like don't worry about any planning, just kind of go with your gut, just 
relax and just don't plan anything. Yeah. He realized when I first saw him, I'm like, so much masculine energy in me. I'm like, so I'm getting after it and I'm like getting to this point and I'm like, He's like, you know, it's good to have, like, but you, if you go too much into it, you start pushing away other people because they're getting in your way, your loved ones and stuff, and you start kind of just being selfish, and you you just want to get after it. Where if you go the other side, you just start getting lazy, yeah. procrastinating, and like, or you're just you don't know what where you are in life, you kind of don't know where to go. So he told me it's like, just get in touch with your feminine side and kind of relax and don't plan anything because I plan everything like, I've got to have the morning routine I've got to do that I've got to like know what I'm doing for dinner and like what exactly where we're going what, what to get are you always early for flights uh, yes but <laughs> I've, I've got it down to like a perfect amount yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I know exactly how long it takes and stuff like that yeah. so yeah about half an hour yeah I used to be so hard out about it, so anxious about going to the airport. I used yeah. to get there like an hour before, two hours. But yeah, just tapping into those energies and like, yeah, just knowing that both female and males have the capacity to learn both and have both and you can kind of like feel yourself getting too masculine or too feminine. You're kind of going with the flow a bit too much and um, you start to get overwhelmed by emotion. It's time to put order and time to put some routine in, and it is that push and pull. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really good point. What does your morning routine look like? You've talked about it a couple of times. What is it? Yeah, um, my morning routine is I get up as early as I can. I, I like getting up. I'm actually trying to follow the sun. So I try to go to bed an hour or an hour and a half after the sun goes down and try and get up about half an hour, an hour before. So at the moment it's about 6 a.m. I get up. This guy Harley I talked about, he's got me into this hydrogen water. So I make a liter of that. Yeah. I have apple cider vinegar massive glass of that, drink that, and then I meditate. I try and meditate for, like I say, I have to stop myself, but usually ending up about 20 to 30 minutes. And then after that I do this kind of, through my gymnastics stuff I've been learning, they, they have like a quick kind of get your joints moving mm-hmm. uh, routine, which takes about 15 minutes, so I do that. It's just like goes through the whole body, quick stretch, quick movement. And then I exercise, which is either a hit class, which is so convenient because these F45 next door to me <laughs> and that's 45 minutes and they have one at 7.30, that's perfect. It takes me about an hour and a half to kind of get through the other stuff. Go do that, come back, then have my coffee or I go to the sauna. I kind of mix up those things. I do a bit of reading, try and get in a chapter. Then I go and try and write a song. And at the moment I'm pretty – my routine's come back after these big shows. In the last two weeks I've been – Pretty spot on. Yeah, and so that takes me up to lunchtime. I don't eat. I fast all that all the way through to about lunchtime and have my first meal at lunchtime. So before lunchtime I've done yeah, meditation, some exercise, a lot of water, some reading and writing a song, which covers a lot of things like practice, songwriting skills and knowing how to work pro tools and stuff like that. So that's kind of two birds, one stone. Yeah, it's very similar to mine without the um, writing a song thing. But, mm. you know, that's really except uh, – because that was one of my questions is what, is what does your day look like? Because, you know, when you think of – you know, I don't know, I've never been a, mus- a professional musician, but you think about like a musician, it's like, well, the traditional – Stereotype is that you you know you get up at midday and wake up with a cigarette and a shot of whiskey and you know you don't do much and mm. you go into the recording studio or something at eight o'clock and you work there till one a.m. and then you go home sort of thing. But that's you know that couldn't be more contrasting. Yeah, I, that was something that I thought I had to do when I was you know younger. I used to think that's the way a musician lives. It was really hard to keep away from that um, 
cliche. Like when I started doing the self improvement stuff, really starting getting into it, I was a bit like, oh, I don't want, I don't want to tell people about this because I'm, I'm supposed to be a rock star and like I'm doing all this kind of like nerdy stuff on the side. But after doing the philosophy class and like that ego, that's just my ego, you know, trying to get attached to something that deep down I didn't really like the you know the characteristics of being a musician it's like didn't interest me at all like going partying and stuff like that I'm an introvert I've noticed I'm an introvert and I need a reason good reason to go out and go to a party and so the best reason what I have is after a show because yeah. it's our after party and we deserve it because we just done a show so yeah. really the only parties I go to unless they're close friends and I'm like oh, I know the person and I'm like I love the person like I'll go to their thing but everything else like events we get asked to go to or stuff that are just for like some kind of label or something like that. I just like, I have no interest in it. I yeah. just, and I can't bring myself to go sometimes, even more now that I kind of getting in touch with who I am, something I've always had. I try to suppress it when, you know, when my ego is freeing yeah. up. I think that all the really iconic rock stars and musicians have that same sort of, yeah, it's almost the hero's journey of its own. You sort of, you know, the, it comes right back home and you come, you know, I've listened to a number of podcasts in the last few days with like Bon Jovi and Dave Grohl's quite similar and like even Jay-Z's the same and they come around, they sort of, all that almost like fake stuff sort of gets left behind and they come around to a real sort of solid base, which kind of sounds like you've done. Yeah, um, still working on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, it's always a progressive discovery, I guess. Do you do anything else like outside the band? Like oh, obviously you've got your routines and your songwriting bits and pieces, but like any other sort of job or do you invest? Have you invested in anything? Do you like, is there anything else that you've sort of done to what you do? Not really. No, I, um, I'm dedicated to music, man. Like I'm outside of the band, there's music. Music's like a, such a big thing, you know, like so there's a lot to learn about, like learning how to record people, learning how to produce people, learning how to write for other people, learning about different types of genres that are not 660. And then this whole self-improvement thing is just a whole other world, like doing stuff to kind of like tap into your brain at a deeper level. Like I'm doing these like mushroom extracts, these never-ending things like hydrogen water, ketosis, which helps like just me get switched on, a lot of things out there. So at the moment I'm pretty stocked up with things yeah, to do. You're yeah, busy, yeah. I feel like um, I got told once that education is a progressive discovery of your own ignorance. It's like, the, you know, the more you learn, the more you find out you don't know. Yeah, exactly. And I thought yeah. that it was really fitting. I'm, I do learn about other things, like, but I, I don't experience them, yeah. which yeah. I want to do. That's kind of a goal of mine. Like these things that I see around, like these like jujitsu and there's like, um, I really want to explore New Zealand properly. Like it's been like three months just going through it. I'm already looking at doing the Milford Sound oh, yeah. walk, mm-hmm. these, all that. So I love that kind of stuff. But they kind of, like for me, that's, that's kind of all in the same world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I've, you know, we've got a business and my philosophy is that there's no such thing as work-life balance and, you know, it's kind of the same for you, I guess. I always think that, you know, like you alluded to it before a little bit as well, was that you're actually just one person and you, you just do a number of different things. And, mm. you know, like if you have, uh, you know, for anyone in our team, I always think that like if you have a really tough day at home with your spouse or family, whatever it is, like there's no way you're going to be able to show up at work and be your best. Mm. And the same stage, like if you have a really hard or shitty day at work, there's no way you're going to go home and be an awesome husband or dad or partner or whatever it is. So mm. I have this idea idea that that's just this sort of cumulative it's one life you know and you kind of yeah. do, you kind of have to put on a number of different hats and they all interact with each other and i like that yeah, yeah like because soon as you start categorizing things you start to kind of team up on yourself you're like oh this part of me and this part of me like yeah. oh what i don't like them but but yeah if you i quite like that if you just treat it as one thing yeah 
Yeah. And for us, you know, if it's important because if you had a fight with your partner, like, and then you go into a songwriting session, like, it's hard to be creative when you've got something else on your mind, you know. And it's the same way, like, if you, you know, struggle with something else, and there's no way you're going to be an awesome. You go out for dinner, it's like you're not really present at the dinner because you're you're affected by what you did earlier the day. Yeah. You know? So it can be hard sometimes. And one thing I noticed when I researched you guys, which was pretty synonymous, was that you're a hardworking band. And that's always a key element to anyone that's achieved any level of success. But what I'm interested to know is what does hard work look like for a band? You know, like mm. not having a, an insight into what what your life looks like as such. You know, like for a builder, hard work is like on the tools. Mm. You know, like you work from early to late and you don't take much lunch and, you know, you're, you're job to job and you're busy. Like I can comprehend that. But what does hard work look like for a band? Does that mean writing a song every day? Does it mean lots of time in the recording studio? Does it mean lots of time touring and away? Like what is – it was remarkable how so many different places I've read came across you guys as hard working. Yes, yeah, so there's like the band, the group work, and then there's the individual work. What's really changed everything is that – that one and the same. So if you work hard individually, it's going to spill into the group as a whole. So just in terms of the group, hard work is like when we go on tour, we do like two to three weeks of rehearsals leading up to it every day, pretty structured, five hours a day, get in there, go through each song. We already know them, but we're just going through them, trying to just build up that dexterity and trying to just not think about what we're playing and try and focus on like performing and being confident. And then we start working on the details about how to link songs together, like the order, the little things we want to do that are just like going to get the crowd hyped up, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So in terms of live, it's doing three weeks of rehearsals pretty strictly and then going on tour and just turning up, not like getting too drunk after a show, if you've got a show the night after and just like committing yourself and being being as like – healthy and awake as possible when you're playing. So on tour, it's like having a job. There's a structure, like as you say, as a builder, it's like be here then and like these are your tools, go out there and and use them. Outside of live, it's really tricky because it's like all up to yourself. You have to be your own boss. I kind of miss the days of, oh, I don't miss the job, but I miss the structure they have. Like you need to be at work at this time. You have people looking over you kind of coming in, how's it going? constantly getting assessed and like how's everything going like where are you with this and that and that you don't have that in a band no one's waking you up no one's like giving you stuff to do there are long breaks between drinks like in a band like this live and then we have we have shows and then like two months later we have shows it's like two months off every like couple of months you know and so it's really on yourself and like this is I struggled a bit uh, a few years ago when I realized this and I was like, I, I, there's something I need to do to make sure that I, I am taking responsibility and there's some onus for me to do stuff. So yeah, so my morning routine was something I that really helped me. Something that makes me go to bed the night before. So I know, oh, I've got, I've got to do this class in the morning, but I've got to do my meditation and, and drink all this water and mm-hmm. stuff before. It. So I have something that I need to do. And then the song thing is just something, one song a day is something I've just made up and it's something that most of the guys in the band do mm. they get to, into the studio and like it doesn't have to be too much pressure it could be the worst thing ever but it's just like going to the gym and doing a rep or something yeah. you're building up resilience and like just being a fit music writer yeah. <laughs> basically yeah. so I just go in the studio sometimes I'm just can't be bothered I just do one little thing and I record it and it's like really bad but after a while consistency 
it starts to build up and you start to kind of get real fluid in, in, in what you're doing. So the hard work is really individual thing, mostly outside of playing live. But other than that, we when we meet as a band and we make goals and we want to achieve something, like the Western Springs thing, we we start getting good meetings done and we really productive meetings. We get everyone in. It's like, okay, and we tell the truth and get everything off our mind. And I guess that's probably what people talk about. We're really, um, we make sure we get the right people. We make sure that there's no bullshit. It's just like, what are you doing? Tell us what you're doing. What what do we need to do? And just taking ownership of, you know, we don't let our managers just talk. When it was just like in the background, like hungover, just yeah. not saying. We're, we're really active in everything, every aspect of the band. Yeah. We're asking the questions ourselves. We're not, our manager's kind of just coming in and out. And there's a total like respect. Everyone's at the same level. There's no like hierarchy when we go into anything we do as a band. So, yeah. and we've built that up, just not being afraid to ask questions and, and learning about what we're doing. <laughs> like, that's another thing. Like, we're constantly learning and like try and ask people, oh, what is it? What's it like being a manager? Like, I talked to my manager about what's it like being a manager? What do you have to think about? Like, what are these things when you're doing deals? Like, how are you negotiating and stuff like that? And like, it's not like I'm going to do it, but it just helps me communicate better. Yeah. So, um, the hard work's hard to kind of pinpoint like a yes. being a builder, yeah. but it's just committing and putting in the effort and being truthful when you do something. And consistent as well, I think, as well, yeah. Consistency is yeah. really important. I think what, kind of what you alluded to, it's quite similar to sort of being an entrepreneur, I guess. It's like you know, no one's expecting you to turn up at mm. work. You know, like when you own your own business or you're starting something or whatever it is, there's no one – you have to clock in. You yeah. know, like if you, if you don't do the work, you're not going to get the results. So you've got to have that intrinsic drive inside you to want to do it, you know. Otherwise. Yeah, and initiate rather than react. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, being proactive. And taking control rather than you know let your circumstances or the environment take control. Yeah, I'm just started reading this book called Extreme Ownership. Oh yeah, what's um, the the army guy? Yeah, the, the Navy SEAL. Yeah, yeah. Jocko. Jocko Williams. Yeah, it? and um, that's just like a good reminder, man. That's just a, as soon as you start f- feeling yourself even thinking about blaming or making excuses, there's something that you need to take care of of yourself. Yeah. So he really pushes that extreme ownership, taking full responsibility of everything, like. There are never bad teams, there are only bad leaders. And as a band, we're five leaders, so it's tricky to know who's leading what. But if it's kind of in your vicinity, like for me, there's a lot of things in the band, like um, live, I have to do a specific thing, so I take full ownership of anything that comes in that world. I go, even though it's like, oh, a little bit of that guy, I'm just like, nah, I'm the first to say, no, I'll do it, I'll um, try and figure it out and take lead on that and if it's something like Machu has to do like a figure out what to say between songs you know he's like okay now I've got to really dig down like he'll dig down and come up with something then he'll ask the band and we're like oh this and this and this so taking ownership yeah I think that's really important you know and I think that you know it's an an idea that everything's your fault you know I quite Mm. like that mindset and it's like you know even in a business for me I obviously don't have the the band insight, but as a business, for me, it's like, well, if someone does something stupid or silly at work, it's like, well, I have to take responsibility because, well, A, we hide them, mm. but B, we set up the environment where they thought that behaviour was correct yeah, or nice. right or um, it was acceptable, whatever mm. it was, you know. And I think, you know, like if someone does something stupid, I'm like, oh, well, that's my fault. It also empowers you to gives you the the opportunity to change it. Yeah. Like if it's someone else's fault, it's really hard to change what someone else does. Nah. But if it's like, well, it's my fault, 
what's the option? It's like, well, I need to put a system or a process or a culture or whatever it is in place mm. so that behavior doesn't happen again. Yeah. So when you take responsibility, you also give yourself power. Yeah, yeah, that's cool, cool. Way to, I love that you can practice it. Like it's a bit harder to, to do it in, in the band, but I've been doing it in my own life. Yeah. And this is, yeah, it's, it's hit to the ego, you know, going, I don't know why that person did that to me. Mm-hmm. But I'm just going to assume it's my fault somehow or some, something. Yeah. And um, at first you don't understand it, but yeah, it's like a mindset thing that you like everything's on my shoulders, and you just start to kind of feel it, and you start to being proactive. Like it's like this that thing you're talking about at the beginning, where you're like, if you buy a car, like a red car, you'll yeah, start yeah. to see red cars. Yeah. If you start to take ownership, you start to see like, oh yeah, there's a lot of things I do c- uh, I can control yeah. around here, yeah. and like, oh yeah, I can control that and that and that. And if, if you do it in a good way and in a truthful way, yeah. it'll start all working out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I re- really fundamentally believe in that. Did you have to sacrifice anything? Like, Do you feel like you've missed out on anything? Because the reason I ask this is because often people, when they look from the outside, the iceberg analogy, you know, you see the top of the iceberg, you see all the fun stuff and the Mm. exciting things and people don't see the stuff behind the scenes. You've alluded to the hard work and stuff, but, you know, for example, after the earthquakes in Christchurch, my partner and I, my wife now, partner then, we left and we spent four years travelling and people always say, oh, you're really lucky or whatever, but it looks great on the surface, but at the same time, like, we sacrificed... You know, we weren't here. We missed weddings and we missed mm. friends and family and we were away from, you know, things that we really liked. But that we chose to make that sacrifice. We were like, well, we want this at the moment. This is what's important and we're going to do this. But we missed out on other stuff, mm. you know, and I think there's always, you know, same in anything, health and fitness. If you want a six-pack, like mm. everyone sees a six-pack, oh, that's awesome, you know, but like the sacrifice is that you don't eat cake and ice cream and mm. you exercise and you go to the gym and you're lean and you mm. you know like there's always a I guess like a yin and yang a duality to it you know is there do you feel like there's anything that for you did you have to sacrifice anything or miss out on anything yeah um just as a person I've, I've always kind of kept things very simple in my life like I didn't have too many friends you know like I if I found a really good friend I'd like it'd just be me him and or like I'd keep only a small group of friends and Growing up, I didn't really um, – with my family, I was close to them, but that was the sacrifice. There were two sacrifices really in my life. It's like not really knowing and, and helping my family when I was younger because we we just didn't grow up in the great circumstances and my brother and sister went off the wayside as I was like focusing on doing university and, and the band thing. And I was just propelled so strongly to, to, to do that and I didn't speak any ill – of my, my family stuff, but I didn't get to know them. So they, they never were angry with me and going, oh, he's just kind of left us behind. It's because now that I'm in a position where I can help effectively, I'm doing that now. So yeah. I've kind of making up for that sacrifice now that I've kind of standing on my own two feet and yeah. I've got something that I can help with. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, missing all the friends that I had in, at university and at high school that I was good friends with. Like I hardly talk to them these days, but now that I'm in this position again and we're traveling a lot, I can find out where they are and I can go see them. Now my ego is kind of like yeah. away because ego really does close you in and like stop you from talking to people. But I still have that thing that I only keep a small group of people together and yeah, at the moment it's pretty simple. It's just the band, my girlfriend and my family and my you know my close friends. Yeah. Still the same friends, you know, like. Yeah. And yeah, that, just the sacrifice of just not really being in contact with them has been the, the biggest thing and yeah, I'm just going full circle again and kind of getting to know them again at, 10 years later, 20 yeah. years later and yeah. um, now that I've got all this wisdom and stuff and, and a way that I can listen and communicate and it's wonderful. Yeah. Like 
just connect, reconnecting with my family. And I'm starting to help now. I'm starting to like teach some stuff. And something another thing I want to talk to Gil a bit about is like yeah. how to teach and what you know what the do's and don'ts are. And yeah. like, well, you're a role model now to people. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Whether you like it or not, sort of. You know, yeah. when you when you achieve what you have, people, you know, aspire to be like you and look up to you for certain things, and and that's a, you know just another element of responsibility. Yeah, and and helping people. Is addictive when you when you start getting the momentum for it, you start to feel the karma coming back, and it starts to feel really good, and you start to feel the love, and you start to learn about love and get deeper in love. So that's a little goal of mine, just yeah. to kind of give back a bit more. And like I'm trying to start small, like the Jordan Peterson thing, like get get yourself yeah. sorted out, yeah, and yeah. then like yeah. start to expand the, the circle slowly yeah. to you know my friends, my family, and like start going out to my community. So I haven't really done too much stuff out, outside of mm-hmm. like. My close circle because yeah. I'm still learning how to do that. Yeah. So, but that's the goal, just to keep pushing out comfortably and like, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I've followed you for a while. You sort of talked about it a couple of times, but you've got sort of quite an interest in in personal development with sort of health and nutrition and bits and pieces. Mm. Do you have a connection with Be Pure online? I see that that's sort of you're encouraging people to check that out. Yep. What, what's the go there? Well, you want to sort of maybe. Do you follow a diet as such? Is it, is it just a natural interest for you or, or what's the, how does it work? Yeah, so I've, I've always been into eating healthy, even though I didn't, at the very beginning I didn't know what it was. I, I gravitated towards like, you know, salads and stuff and like not to like junk food and stuff. So I've always had this kind of interest. I, don't, I didn't understand why or what, why I was doing it. I was just like, oh, yeah, that seems like the good thing. Like my bullshit meter kicking in like, oh, I know what is bad for me. And I kind of know what's good for me, but I don't know why. And it took me a while until I was like in my mid to late 20s until I started to understand why healthy food's good for you and stuff like that. And yeah, this, that was through Be Pure. So I don't know, like five years ago, probably more than that, when they first were starting out, they didn't even have a branch in Auckland. Uh, ben Warren did a like a national tour and he just taught, it was just an overview of Be Pure and like his um, the way he got into health, like healthy living and stuff like that. And that really blew my mind because I, you know, I'd done engineering and stuff like that. So I was like a stickler for, for detail and like depth. If he wasn't going deep enough and being real logical, I'd, I wouldn't believe him. But I remember his seminar being really detailed and really like well researched and it just made sense, just resonated with me. He talked about how like the biggest thing was like veggies and any plant material and stuff that we eat is mostly to do with the soil health and the, and the root health. Mm-hmm. So like when you go to a, let's say, like chainsaw supermarket, most of the stuff's been like, it's so old and like it takes the degradation of nutrients from when it's up heaved from the soil. It's like every day it loses like a good 40%. And by the time you get to the supermarket, it has been like a week out of the soil, even more. So like yeah. he's next to nothing in it. And then they look so good. So he was like, they put a lot of fertilizers and stuff like that. And then he said, fertilizers naturally are really deep down in the soil. And so the roots have to go right down. They get strength by going right down and they get that kind of the stuff that's in fertilizers. But in the last, you know, 50 to 100 years, fertilizers have been put on the top of the soil. So the root, the roots are real shallow, mm-hmm. but it gives them a lot of like body. So like the plant looks really nice and thick and big, but it's got nothing in it. Yeah. Um, so I was like, wow, that's really deep and cool. Sure enough, I went to go read his stuff and the references and yeah, it's all in there. And then... Um, the other thing was like I've actually developed a vitamin myself for New Zealanders just looking at the soil and what's in there and what's not in there. So like the biggest thing selenium. They have selenium in our soils naturally that, that much. So we have to kind of – we don't have to, but it is wise to kind of like supplement. And so I just started doing it just – and I had this whole thing of like I don't know until I try it. Yeah. Like, And I need to 
consciously try it, be aware of like what it's doing and stuff like that. And like I just took the vitamins to see how it was going and surely the, there's so much depth in everything. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'm taking these, kind of seeing how it's going. But I wasn't taking them properly and there's like timing and then the fasting stuff started coming in and I started um, working with someone from Be Pure, um, Lisa. She's been my consultant for three years and I just check in every couple of months and I'm very, you know, engineering. So I need to have like experimental results if I'm going to believe it. So what I pushed her to do was to, I need to get my blood work done. Every test that I can do on myself and see the results, I want to do. So blood work, I did a stool test. (laughs) So I got to see what bacteria was actually in my stomach, which is a gross thing to do. But there's a place in New Zealand that processes your stool and like Mm -hmm. counts all the bacteria, good, bad, and then be pure. They were like, okay, in order to get these populations of bacteria down, take this and this and this. I was passing wind a lot. I was farting heaps mm. like five years ago. Like it was really bad. I thought it was normal. I actually used to get confirmation bias by reading articles. Oh, it's good for you. I'm like, oh, yeah. it's so sweet. But it, I found out like, no, nah, it's just an overpopulation of, of bacteria in your stomach. So I got into microbiome. Started getting, reading podcasts about that, stuff like that. And then always anything I learned I'd, with my monthly chicken with BPO, I'm like, oh, I've learned about microbiome. Like, still really early stages at the moment but what can I do and they got me the stool test and I did this like three month protocol where I got rid of all the bad bacteria and like use a probiotic and a prebiotic to kind of get out my good bacteria now I don't fart at all like (laughs) at all like it's like crazy and I don't get bloated at all and then that naturally moved into like the ketogenic diet and I was like I was more performance based at that time when I started getting to ketosis and I saw that through podcasts and stuff that has a really a big effect on your mental clarity and stuff yeah. like that. I'm like, oh, okay, that's something. Like I, I was already fit and I yeah. didn't have to lose any weight. So I was like, try to do it specifically for that. And I remember the first time it happened and I was like, again, I had to measure myself. So it took me a while to find something I can actually measure how many ketones are in my blood. All I knew is that if you get over one, you start to feel the effects and anything deeper than that from one to like seven or, or up to 10, it gets deeper and deeper in, in the ketosis thing. And so I did that and the first time I got to that 1.2, I literally could feel it. It's like that feeling when you uh, have a hot shower and it's cold outside of the shower and you like get out and it's just like, whoo, you're like, whoo, or you jump in and like plunge yourself in a real cold lake or something. You come out and you're like, whoa, it was that feeling constantly. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy. It was so much so that I had to take carbs the early stages to calm down. (laughs) I was like, this is getting too much, man. And it wasn't jittery coffee that's when I started doing coffee because coffee helps push um, the production of ketones into your liver. I was like locking in and it wasn't the jittery coffee. I thought coffee got you jittery and scattered. It was like just full, like I almost was too much focus, like yeah. like really too focused on stuff. Yeah, my girlfriend was like talking to me. She's like, oh, it's like, you're not listening to me. Like you, since you've been doing this ketosis, you're not – it was because I was too focused on stuff. And so it was as good and bad, like it's good to get real focused. But I was like getting so focused, I was getting like, you know when you game so much, you're a bit of a gamer and you're just going hard for like ages and you're like, oh, you don't know about your body, like you need to go to the toilet and you're like, oh, I haven't drank water. I'm like, it's kind of like that kind of focus, yeah. Yeah, so B-Pure's kind of guided me through everything that I've been interested in and in health through the vitamin stuff and at the moment, I've, I've been doing like the ketogenic diet thing and this mental clarity stuff for about a year now. And I got my blood work done just to see what it was like. My cholesterol is a bit high. So yeah. I've got a 
my next chicken will be pure next week too. And I'm kind of going to speak about my cholesterol. I was like, what does that mean? Yeah. I actually got my DNA tested too through them. So I got fully mapped out through 23andMe and I actually found my biological dad, which is another story really? through that process. But through that you can now, these websites coming up, it's very recent, you can upload your DNA data and it can tell you stuff, whatever the newest research that's been done, it can tell you like, if you're sensitive to caffeine, if if your body's more responsive to endurance exercise or fast twitch stuff, which my body is more suited for hit, so like short, strong, fast uh, workouts rather than like running yep. for long distances. Like I, I and I knew that it was like crazy. It's like telling me stuff I already knew, but it was kind of giving me even percentages. Like your body's seventy percent used to high intensity workouts yeah. whereas you're only like 30% good at like endurance and sure enough that's like wow. as much endurance I put in my life is about 30% like I hardly do it but I do it because I haven't done it in a while you know yeah. but I hate it I just like really suffer from it I can't yeah. it's like I just want to give up you know yeah. and then anything to do with my body um, Be Pure have been a guide so eventually turned after being so dedicated to them and like spending a lot of money it's yeah. quite expensive they asked me if oh, you know we can give you stuff for free and yeah. you know make just do some posts and put the word out and stuff so yeah. that's oh, where cool. it is at the moment and you find like the diet and that sort of mental clarity you've got does that help you with you know songwriting and with yeah you know? that's the whole reason I was doing it I've been trying to just find it's like there's a word that goes around it's called biohacking it's like hacking into your body like trying to like find ways of just optimizing performance and with music it's different because it's just such a not much um active using your body mm. it's more like using your ears and and kind of getting in, into a state like a state of like you're kind of calm and you're like no preconceptions you're so present and when you get into that state you start to hear stuff better like melodies and you start to hear where the song could go and when you don't say this is going to be this song then you're just more open so like for example when I started what I started noticing is that the songs take on like a really unique form now like they don't there's not too much oh that's a hip that's a hip hop influence or that's dubstep influence that song like I used to think of like oh, I'm going to make like a Justin Bieber sounding song or like Post Maloney sounding song like I used to always approach songs like that now I'm just like it's a weird concept to get but it's like I'm waiting for the song to present itself. I want the song to write itself. I'm just there to kind of like guide it yeah. and just find the, the next second where it goes, but I'm not going to put any limitations on it. And all these things like this diet stuff, this meditation stuff, just um, learning about ego and this mental stuff and getting the body right, everything, they start to kind of align and you start to come this instrument yourself, this yeah. vessel for music. So Yeah, that's such a cool way to look at it. And I guess because, you know, like is there pressure to write, you know, when you've already had, you know, popular songs and popular albums, mm. you know, like I don't know how record deals work, but, you know, you, it comes time to write another album, you know, like is there pressure to like, all right, well, I've got to write 12 songs now, 14 songs or whatever it is. Not anymore because we're, you know, doing the song a day and and we write so many songs. Like yeah. when the label or like management's like time to release an album we've already got like 200 songs like ready to go so right. it's pretty easy we just like choose the best ones of those and then most of the time we get help to finish them well we don't finish them ourselves we always get a producer now because we're just so inside these songs that it's hard to kind of see how they could be finished yeah. so we always get a producer to come in that's like to oversee and like had a, a totally different perspective of the song so yeah we're we're being proactive and uh 
we used to be, I used to be like, that used to be like, yeah. we've got no songs and we need to get an album out real soon. Yeah. And we used to freak out and that we used to like have the, like immense kind of preconceptions and pressure like to, to create something great. And yeah, it was hard. We've gone through it and we, we can do that, but yeah. it's just too much for Yeah. The song of day things I like, it's, I have this whole philosophy of a little a lot. I know mm. I think it's a law of nature. I don't know if it is, but like even anything like you know brushing your teeth, like you don't brush your teeth once a year. Nah. You know you do a little lot. You do you know a minute a day, twice a day. You yeah, know, yeah. And then you have wonderful looking teeth for your entire life. You know it's that that little a lot, and then you know writing a song a day. If there's five of you, and you're each writing you know three to five songs a week, and mm. you know so you you've got sort of fifteen to you know. 25 songs or whatever it is and it comes time to produce an album or create an album you're just like oh well here's 350 songs you know like what you know it's such a such a cool way to look at it and by by that time like the the songs that are already like resonating with us we know them i mean we're like we can name the top 20s before people ask us to album so yeah it's just it's just being dedicated and, and just knowing that um we're in a position as you know we've worked so hard to get to the position we're at now where we can have the luxury to do this at a high level, like I'm doing one song a day at a high level. I've got like a studio at home. It's like the latest Pro Tools. It's like good gear and stuff like that. So when we present it, it's like very high quality. Like back in the day, it was just like you'd have to remember all the songs on your acoustic guitar or like play them from your phone and skip through to the good parts. And it's like so hard to communicate that. So we're definitely in a good position. But if I can't use my studio, I just do them on my phone. Yeah. And I've got a way to... I'll name it, whatever, just a random name. And then as I'm working on it, I would like do another recording with the same name and I'll say verse. And I'm like, no, no, actual verse or verse two or chorus or thing. In the title, I put like timestamps, like where the good parts are. And then usually when I get back to the studio, I already know what the song sounds like. I just have to put it in. And it's like, we nearly created the whole EP like that. We had all these songs on a phone. And we're just like, oh, I like that one, I like that one. So I just went away and put the best ideas I had. I had like maybe like 30 voice memos <laughs> of just ideas. Just me playing piano through a speaker, just kind of like working on a song, something like 10 minutes long. And then I take, had the timestamps and I just put them all together on the computer. Don't give it up was a really good example of that. That was all done like that. It was yeah. me and Machu in LA on a piano. I was playing the piano on the speaker and he was cooking dinner and I was like trying to make up like dun, 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 like with the chords and stuff like that. The bridge and Don't Give It Up when it goes down to the roads by itself, that was the first thing we wrote, that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he's in the background and he's kind of like listening and he'd be like yelling out melodies mm-hmm. and every now and then he'll be a cool one. So took it to the computer, got all the best melodies, sang them myself because I just wanted to get it done. Mm-hmm. And then um, the producer that we worked with was like, oh, that's really good. Like, that's great. We should work with that. And had all the melodies, had the main chord progression and everything else was just came together real fast. That's awesome. It's such a cool way to do it. You know, and there's no pressure when it comes to... But it is, it is hard, bro. Like, to be honest, it is hard sometimes. I just don't want to do it, you know, like a set. You know, every day is different and your energies are slightly different. So sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't want to have to go. But momentum is so key. Yeah, it's that 20-mile march. I don't know if you heard that. So it was 20-mile march. It was about the two guys that were um, heading for the South Pole. Mm-hmm. I forget their names. I should know. But they two parties set out at the same time to reach the South Pole. One's their whole plan was to do 20 miles a day. And the other team just said, we'll go as far as we can whenever we can. And so, like, you know, it would be a beautiful fine day and that team might get 40 miles. The other team would go 20 miles but then stop. 
And then on the really shitty average days, the other team would go, look, we're not doing anything. We're just going to wait today, wait till the storm passes. The other team will, oh, we'll just do 20 miles no matter what. And mm-hmm. that's the 20-mile march. You just do a little bit, a lot, and you're, you're disciplined to do the things that yeah. you know you have to do in order yeah. to get the results you want. Yeah. And the 20-mile march, they made it first. The second team didn't even make it. Oh, wow, yeah. 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 It's consistency, eh, man? Yeah, like, yeah. The coolest things I do that really excite me is like when you're least supposed to do work, I do it. Because it gives me this energy knowing that like no one's doing it. Like, for example, after the Western Spring Show, it was expected, oh, I'll just have a break, you know, for like two weeks and just chill out. But the very next day, I just like, I'm just going to do one idea. I'm just going to put it down as fast as I can. But the idea was like pretty good, so I just kept going. And I was just like, had been practicing being present, had practiced not having preconceptions and assumptions and stuff like that. And ended up doing an hour that day, you know, like just didn't have to do it, but... I just felt like, and like waking up in the morning gives me that feeling as well, really early in the morning. I'm like, if I wake up at like 5.30 sometimes, I'm like, oh man, I feel like I'm energized knowing that I'm up before a lot of people and I'm doing stuff that I'm not supposed to do. And then even like cliche, stereotypical stuff, what a musician should do, should sleep until 12 and like just kind of smoke and whatever. I do the other stuff and that energizes me knowing that most musicians are not doing this. and. So like little things like that excite me and, and get me through. But we're about to release a new album, 12 songs, ready to go. It's just finishing the mixing and mastering of them. No need for me to write like I, I don't have to. But the way I'm going, approaching writing now is just telling myself I don't care about the quality. It's all about this consistency thing. So I'm going in there actually literally just doing what – just touch something. Yeah. And first thing to come, like, sweet, done, what's the tempo, done, sweet, done, out of there. And like I get out and I'm like done my song for the day, just first chorus, just two different sections. And then um, every now and then, like I've done probably like since Western Springs, 12 songs since two or three weeks ago. And um, two of them are like, were so good that I just spent like three hours on them. <laughs> like I was like, whoa. So like I'm learning those lessons, like just have the intention to go in there and just put whatever you come to first, but, you know, don't, book anything after like straight away just, just in case something a spark happens yeah 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 that's really cool and i think that's just work ethic man like i think that, that years. i don't know if you've seen that movie with leonardo dicaprio it's the aviator or the it's mm. the one where he, he's the pilot where he creates he builds planes and yep. they it's such an interesting scene like they he's got this ginormous plane they build the sort of crux of the movie is that they like get this ginormous plane off the ground you know no one thought they could do it and he gets it off the ground and like everyone's celebrating and like everyone's carrying on and like he's talking to his engineers and they're all like drinking and stuff he's like what are you doing he's like we've got more work to do we can build something else you know mm-hmm. like and it's just that it's such a it sounds like a similar mindset it's like you know the day after you've you know done the biggest show of your life to date you're Back at work, so to speak. Yeah, I, I quite like the. I, you know, you said I get a bit buzzed when you know you feel like you're getting ahead. It's like I get up really early too, and I like the idea of like it's kind of like you're getting one up on not your competition, but like on on everything on life. It's yeah. like well, you know, I'm one step ahead, sort of thing. Yeah, it does feel good, man. And like it's exciting now because it's, I don't know the success just drives me even more. Like the, the more success we have, and I remember when I read the book about Jimi Hendrix. It was a biography, so it was done by someone else but he did a real good job and he was like when Jimi Hendrix knew he was getting famous and stuff and he was getting a lot of notoriety he was like more obsessed with getting good at guitar he'd take electric guitar around with him everywhere he'd like straight after the show he'd be like with groupies backstage like playing and like 
just constantly playing. He'll be in a, in a bus going to the next show, constantly playing. He'll be like in the toilet playing sometimes. Like he was just like more obsessed, the more successful he got. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm getting at. I remember resonating with that little thing in the book. I'm like, oh man, if, if that ever happens to me, I want to get just go dive into my instruments much more and, and become like a master at them, like yeah. real deep in it. Yeah, well, the, the burning desire to get better is a synonymous trait with successful people, mm. I would think. What are you most proud of? I'm probably most proud of getting to know who what resonates with me and really know who I am and taking these layers of, uh, I don't know, domestication <laughs> from, uh, you know, a lot of things, society, whatever, telling me what is the way things should go and what you should do and, and actually just trying it for myself and trying other things for myself to actually really know what the answer is. So, yeah, I'm proud of getting to know who I am, what, what resonates with me. I'm proud that I, I look at life, that everything has an equal meaning, like your body, your spirit, your, your passion. They have equal weighting towards making you feel and be a better person. So I'm proud of me of just looking at that and just, yeah, just being myself. Yeah, that's really cool, man. It's cool to have, you know, like, you know, I wasn't sure if you were going to answer that question with like, you know, we won this award or we did this show or we sold this many albums or not, but it's really cool to be, you know, maybe introspective, you know, and be like, I'm proud of the person that I've become. Yeah. Know, which is really cool. All that, all that other stuff comes from that. Yeah, that's very true. Is there anything you're particularly obsessed with at the moment? Like, is there anything that's on your mind? Like, there's sort of like, you know, you lie awake at night, like, hmm, like I'm thinking about something particular or is there, you know, it might be a restaurant, it might be a food type, it might be a diet, or it might be a new coffee place or an app or a song or a, is there anything that you sort of... Yeah, actually... um. The latest thing that's been on my mind is, is getting a mentor. I've got a, like I mentioned, a mentor in Auckland. He's kind of a mentor, but uh, I actually asked him if he could be more of a mentor, like I meet up with him more often. And he's, he's like a chiropractor, but like that's not really his thing. He's like a, he's like an energy person, kind of, um, you know, Paul Chick. Have you heard of that guy, Paul Chick? No, I haven't. He's a guy that's kind of been around for a while and he, he's all about the hero's journey and kind of helping people kind of realize their full potential. This guy, Harley, in Auckland, he's kind of that kind of vibe. So he kind of like just, he's been through all the ego stuff. He's done like psychedelic adventures, like everything you can think of. He's really lived it. So he kind of like listens to you, what you say, and he kind of gives you little tips. He gave me the masculine, feminine thing and a bunch of stuff. So it's been working. So I've asked him and then, yeah, just trying to find someone who can just constantly kind of give like thoughts and, and they know where I've been and mentally. So it's more of a mental, spiritual mentor like just knowing giving me little bits of stuff i can like try out and um it's kind of like a bouncing board almost isn't it like yeah i feel like you know i've got mentors and i kind of feel like sometimes it's just the ability to converse with someone have that type of conversation because you don't go to the bar with your friends and start talking about you nah, know like so hard you to know do that, that sort of <laughs> stuff you know like sometimes you have to put a plan in place to make sure you're you're talking about that type of thing or there's mm. someone that's you know, responsive and you know they might have a slightly more experience or life experience or they've been through something else and they've got a unique mindset and sometimes you're just trying to you know see what other people think of things that you're going through or what's happening or mm. things you've learned and that can be just as interesting. I'm a huge believer in um, in mentors. Yeah, yeah. So like that's been on my mind. That's like it was on my mind when you messaged me, which is kind of cool how the, the universe does that. Yeah, but yeah. As soon as you did that, I kind of, you know, had a look at what you'd done. I'm like, oh, cool. I'm definitely going to learn from that. And I get to see Gilbert. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like this cool thing. So yeah, I don't know if it's one guy or like it's just a couple of guys, but I just want to up these conversations that I'm having with people. That's why I was thinking about doing a podcast myself. And yeah. just 
yeah, like I, I do have friends that I do talk to this, but you find that you kind of approach things at just a certain style. So I just want to just break it up, just find out if these other styles of talking about the same stuff and different perspectives and different experiences. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Last thing, how do you measure your success? And this is a really interesting question because you firstly have to define what success means to you, you mm. know, and typically when you hear a question like this, people will associate success with finances. With, mm. um, but, you know, you can be successful in your relationship. You can be successful in being, like, I'm a new, I'm a dad now, you know, mm. like I, the, my biggest priority at the moment is trying to be an awesome dad, you know. Mm. And, you know, I don't know if you ever get there, but, you know, like, Knowing what defines success for you, I think, is a really important thing for people to look at and understand and be a bit reflective on. Have you thought about what success is to you and, and maybe how you measure it? No, well, it's kind of been a common thing I've been talking about. Like, I don't really think about that success itself because the stuff beneath it that makes that is what I focus on more. So yeah. it's usually I find out about it through what people are saying about us and stuff like that and like this show and I quickly hear oh that's cool we did that we got these awards we did this show but like it's not something that I I do often is, is define what success is to me but if I drill down it's it's just probably hard to conceptualize but harmony is something that comes to mind like being harmonious <laughs> in my relationships and in, in what I do which means that I'm content happy and confident with every relationship I have, I think that's that's how I define success. Like, you know, if I talk about me and my partner, if there's something off, you know, that's not harmony. That's, that's something I need to work on. But, you know, right now it's like so good and like we're growing really well together. So if I reflect on that, yeah, that's I'm being successful right there. And that can success can change in a day and in an hour. And with the band, it's just like, have I done my song? Have I done all this stuff? And to do what I need to do to be musically fit, stuff like that. But, you know, if I was to think about it as a whole, it all does matter. How much money you're making, how much influence you're having on people, they're all factors that do contribute to the overall success, being happy, they all do. And I don't think any of them are bad to kind of look at and just kind of reflect on. Like, if any of those things that a business deem important are not important for us, then they're going to go on the wayside somehow. But I think it does start from a deeper level. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and if you're successful then, then all that stuff just yeah. becomes successful anyway. Yeah, it's a side yeah, effect. I, I completely agree. I think that's a great answer, you know, like a harmonious life where everything's kind of complementing each other, mm -hmm. you know, your sort of career, your relationship, your intimate relationship, your family and friends. I think that that's the true idea of success is when, you know, you live a harmonious life and you can leave a bit of a legacy, you know. I think that's... Um, that's what it is for me, you know, like I I try to nut down, you know, what it is. People talk about your why or whatever it is, but, you know, I thought, you know, a successful life with me would be leaving a legacy that my family is proud of, mm. you know, like it would be cool for my daughter to say, like, be proud to tell people that I was her dad, you yeah, know. So yeah. for me, success is I've defined success completely as leaving a legacy that my family are proud of or yeah. creating a legacy my family are proud of, you know, and, and encompassed in that will be – some form of financial success, but it mm. certainly won't be a determining factor, you know. Mm. And the, the more so, that's more important because it's, it means we can create things that, you know, she can go to a, a school that she wants, whatever it is, you know, like, but um, leaving a legacy that, or creating a legacy that my family's proud of is 
what success means to me. And I think you kind of cool. got a similar sort of thing, you know, yeah. it's like a harmonious life. And if you can, if you look back and go, you know, that was a pretty cool life, you know, I think that's, yeah. that's success for me. And I, I think legacy is something that people don't think about. And I think they should because legacy, I think you should always think about your funeral and a, not in a sad way, but it's like you're gonna get you're gonna die one day. Yeah. What do you want people to say at your funeral? Because mm. everyone says the same stuff, you know. Like I want people to say that I'm hardworking and I'm honest and I was a good father and I'm loving and I'm compassionate and I was kind and mm. I was helped others and stuff like that. So if you want your legacy to be that, it's like, well, is your behaviour today actually matching that? Yeah. Are you being kind to everyone you come exactly. across? Are you being compassionate? Are you doing nice things for people that can't return the favour? You know, like. Yeah. And I think that's how I came up with that. I was like, my legacy is that. So, so I've got to live a life that is today, now, and, and Jordan Peterson sort of stuff, like yeah. this second, and what can I do that's very small that's yeah. a step in that right direction. Yeah, the goal of the, the, the Jesus thing uh, that I said at the beginning, that has spilled into my personal life. Like, like why not just be someone, my perception of what he was, and like mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be Jesus, but it's someone who's just super solid, super sure of themselves because they've done the hard work to get there, mm-hmm. willing to just to be compassionate and help people just because they, they just want to do it. They, it's just what they do, it's nothing in return, you know, having a massive influence on people, putting out wisdom people can use and for their own lives and putting out positivity and but putting out uh, awareness for your darkness, like making sure you attack it and like a full 360, not avoiding or ignoring anything and like a full... 360 look at your life and look at the world and look at the universe like don't leave any stone unturned that's a goal and i guess a legacy as well that's yeah. something great to leave behind absolutely that sort of i guess will come full circle as well is there anything you want to leave anyone with you know a message a story a quote is there a book you'd recommend or a, a podcast you'd recommend or anything you'd like to leave anything with uh no not really just keep uh just keep learning about yourself yeah Know thyself. <laughs> yeah, it's a good rule. Hey, man, I really enjoyed that. I didn't think we were going to get into some of the stuff we did. I've really enjoyed it. I appreciate it. And Likewise, uh, man. Wish you all the best. Yeah, thank you for having me. No worries, man. And there it is, Marlon from 660. I told you he was a nice guy. I really enjoyed that conversation. Honestly, we um, time just flew. It felt like it was only uh, sort of 10 to 15 minutes long and um, obviously a lot longer than that, but um, I guess that's a sign of a, a conversation that you are interested in. Hey, firstly, thank you so much to Marlon for uh, being on the podcast, but also thank you to you for listening. Um, it still blows my mind that people are happy to listen to these conversations that I have. I love having them and um, I really love the fact that uh, people listen to them as well. So from the bottom of my heart, much love and appreciation. I really appreciate you doing that. If you did get any form of value out of the podcast, you could do one or two things for me. Um, you could jump online and you could uh, on iTunes and you could leave a review. Uh, that would be awesome and if you think you know someone that might enjoy this podcast or take something out of it then please share it it's really easy to do you can share it on any of your social media channels email it to someone God even tell someone in person if you feel like it that would be wonderful I love doing these podcasts and this was a great episode and I really appreciate you listening thank you so much have a lovely day talk soon bye bye